This is No Stop Lights with Ken R. Hey, I'm a college dropout from a town with no stoplight. Take what I say for what it's worth. But one of the great debates in American politics today is a debate within the Republican Party. It's, it's, it's not a debate centered on President Trump or former President Trump. It has a lot to do. I guess it, in, a, in a lawyerly way, it would be rest and residue of the former president. And that is the battle or the decline or the, the prominence of neoconservatism. Since the Reagan revolution, the majority of thought leaders within the Republican Party have um, centered the majority of their foreign policy on neoconservatism. Uh, Neoconservatism is not an extreme political ideology by any stretch of the imagination. It is a sincere belief that that American morality is best for the world. In other words, that the the, the American experience, the American value system, uh, the American integrity, is 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 a, is a is a beacon of light for the world around us. There's a great debate raging within the Republican Party um, centering on Ukraine. I have a very strong opinion. Uh, many Republicans have strong opinions. It's kind of a dichotomy happening in American politics today. Uh, historically, the hippies uh, have been the you know kind of the left leaning um, anarchists, so to speak, that have felt uh, war is bad. Uh, the less we're involved in foreign affairs or foreign conflict, uh, the better America is. It, it's now a little bit different that the the um, I guess the anti-interventionist sentiment is largely within the Republican uh, Party today. It's kind of an anti-establishment nationalist movement. But but I want to I want to have a serious conversation for a couple of seconds about Ukraine, and, and I want to go over a couple of factoids if you don't mind, and let's discuss in a very reasonable, practical way why I believe. We need to have a more serious discussion about our involvement in Ukraine. Should we be in Ukraine? Um, that is a very central, important question. What, what I don't agree with is the flippant nature of which some of the neocons um, would refer to someone such as myself as a pacifist. Now, I just said neoconservatism is not an extreme ideology. A pacifist ascribes to a very fringy political perspective in believing that every um, every event in world or human history can have a justifiable end that doesn't include war, that there will be times that disputes reach a point that they're not they're, they're not able to be settled except for some sort of conflict that eventually could lead to war. Um, we know the serious nature of war. We accept the serious nature of war, but but let's let's stick with Ukraine for just a second, if you will. Should America be in Ukraine or not? Should America be interested in Ukraine or not? Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason for America to be involved, interested, and to some degree um, exert its force or its um, its military influence in the world around us. So if you've got a linear graph, and on one end there's pacifism, on the other end that there's a, a kind of a warmongering, I would never insinuate that every neocon is a warmonger. I think that's unfair to neoconservatism. I do believe that neoconservatives are very sincere in their belief that the the, the morality of the world is, is better if it's heavily influenced by American diplomacy, American intervention, uh, the American military might at times. But but what bothers me greatly about the modern day um, neoconservative is when we have um, serious issues such as a potential war 
uh, being bandied about in what I call soundbody fashion, uh, bumper sticker fashion. Well, what do I mean by that? I stand with Ukraine, whatever it takes. I mean, we've heard many, many politicians say, I stand with Ukraine, whatever it takes in regards to Ukraine. That's dangerous. I mean, that, that's really and truly dangerous when we simply answer some of these very important questions with, I stand with Ukraine. Let us talk about what we, we may should consider as we debate our involvement in Ukraine. We're, I say we, the American people, the American government, the American taxpayer, have invested about $130, $35 billion of, of, of natural assets. And that, by that, I mean um, funds, American money. Uh, the government doesn't have its own money. It's funded by whom? We, the people, the American taxpayer. So so we're, we're basically in um, Ukraine to the tune of about $130. $35 billion. That is a, a large investment. When you say whatever it takes, does that mean another $135 billion? Does that mean another $1.2 trillion? What exactly does it mean when a president, a senator, or a member of Congress says whatever it takes? That, that's, that's deeply alarming and concerning to me because there doesn't appear to be any sort of endgame in sight. There are 30 nations in NATO There are 21 nations that are members of NATO that are also members of the European Union. There are five NATO nations that border Russia, the former Soviet Union. So you've got five nations that border Russia. You've got 21 nations that share a continent and are members of the European Union. You've got 30 total members. Every other member nation of NATO combined has not dedicated as many resources as the United States of America has. To, to, that's bothersome to me. Um, should America export some of its military might to places around the world um, to squelch the march of communism, to tamp down um, radical Islam? Of course. I mean, I think America has al- always had a role and responsibility, and I think we've embraced the role and responsibility. But, but I think the decline of neoconservatism within the Republican Party is a realization that that despite America um, being relatively good, what do I mean by relatively good? Let's use this for, for an example. Do you believe there's a little good and bad things? Do you believe there are bad things or a little bit of bad and good things? I'll give you an example. How many times have we read or heard about stories where an inmate on death row accused of serial killing befriends a cat? He's in a, uh, a prison cafeteria, and he takes a, a, you know, a bite of his sandwich, puts it in a napkin, carries it on the prison yard, and feeds a stray cat. But there's nothing good about a serial killer. But, but he's found some modicum or ounce of goodness in his soul to think about something other than himself, another living, breathing, not human being, but animal. So, so when we talk about war, when we talk about neoconservatism or, or, or being a pacifist, when we talk about you know Russia and China, communism and dictatorships and monarchies and, and some of the things that we fundamentally disagree with, be our Constitution and Declaration of Independence, I think we've got to be very careful to understand that there are no angels in some of these foreign conflicts, that, that America and American leadership is very much um, moved or, or motivated by some of the same things that a Xi or Putin are motivated by. What, what is that? How could someone uh, running a podcast or hosting a podcast in South Carolina compare American leadership to the current leadership of China, 
the totalitarian dictatorship of Xi or um, Putin in Russia. Human beings are motivated by very similar things, no matter where they're located. People who have power wish to amass more power. People who have money and influence wish to amass more money, more influence. There's a song in a Bruce Springsteen song, poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king, king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. Do we as patriotic Americans honestly believe that that only applies to Putin and Russia? That only applies to Xi in China? And, and, and why can't a Republican question modern-day neoconservatism? Why can't a modern-day Republican um, question whether neoconservatism has morphed into American imperialism? When, when has dissent become unpatriotic? If you speak against $135 billion matched by very little of NATO influence, once again, 30 member nations of NATO, 21 European Union members of NATO, five members of NATO that border the nation of Russia. And Americans have invested $135 billion in, um, in making that part of the world more secure. And I just think there is a very serious debate to be had about the, the level of involve, involvement with American resources, American assets. And, and I think it's very unfair when, when a Republican such as yours truly questions whether or not we're doing the right thing. I'm not a Putin uh, apologist. I'm not a Russian sympathizer by any stretch of the imagination, but but I'm not an American imperialist. And, and I believe America has to think long and hard about the track record of neoconservatism. I'll ask our, our, our viewers or listeners, give me an example of neoconservatism panning out of the way we were told it would um, since Vietnam. I mean, think long and hard and give an example of success as it relates to neoconservatism and American foreign policy. How, what were we told and led to believe about Vietnam and what eventually um, took place? In, in more recent and modern times, let's go to the Middle East. There were several members of the George W. Bush administration that inferred uh, directly and indirectly that they would welcome democracy with open arms, that the oil revenue produced by our involvement in that part of the world would lead to prosperity for those nations and an abundance of funds. In other words, the oil revenue was going to pay for the intervention. We ended up spending a couple of trillion dollars and a loss of human life that, that is extraordinary. Uh, many young men and women came back home in a very different form than they left to go there. So, so, so in essence, I'm not saying that neoconservatism is bad. I will say that unchallenged neoconservatism is bad. And I think as neoconservatism has morphed into American imperialism, we Republicans have a responsibility to challenge the world order. Um, Ronald Reagan was probably the movement leader of our times. Reagan was a neoconservative. There's no question about it. Ronald Reagan, um, I think, gets a little more credit than he's due to the um, to the ending of the Cold War because at the end of the day, you had a nation that was communist, a nation that was capitalist. The capitalist nation had a GDP twice the size of the communist nation. So, so, so when you really look at things in general terms, who are you betting on? A nation that operates in our capitalist economy, twice the GDP, or a nation with half the GDP that is communist in nature. So I do accept, I do appreciate, I do applaud um, the stick to that the American government led by Ronald Reagan in those neoconservative episodes of American history. But, but, but I do believe that we have an obligation to not accept things as we're told. 
And I think as a, as a, I guess an America first Republican, I have taken it upon myself to try and better understand the track record of neoconservatism. I'm not a pacifist. I, I do accept Russian as a, um, as an aggressive, um, as an aggressive bully invading a sovereign nation. I do think Ukraine has every right in the world to maintain its sovereignty, to maintain its dignity. But do we really believe, and I've heard many voices in American media and American political, uh, the American body politics say that um, that Americans need to really accentuate whatever, uh, wherever there's democracy at risk, America needs to place whatever emphasis necessary. Are we arguing that Kiev is a democracy? Are we arguing that Ukraine has ever been a functioning uh, democracy? Let's some look at some of the democratic matrix. Um, Ukraine is around Mexico and Burma and some of these other uh, very questionable regimes. So, so the point I want to relay, and then I'll, I'll conclude, I believe in the free market. I believe in economic growth. I believe America has a role and responsibility to the world of which it participates in. But I do think neoconservatism has gone unchecked long enough. And I think Republicans have an obligation, a responsibility to be candid about where we intervene, what we demand of our partners and allies as we progress to a safer and better world for mankind. And when I look at the score sheet, facts are stubborn things. And I see America investing 130 some odd billion dollars in making sure Ukraine is kept safe. I see the other NATO nations, uh, 21 of which are European Union nations, five of which share a border, seem to be not as committed and dedicated as I. I'll ask this question in conclusion. Do you believe that your child's life at more at risk with the, 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 the rampant um, ascent of communism or fentanyl? We're spending $135 billion in Ukraine. How much are we spending to secure the southern border? How many, how many um, pounds and, and ounces and how, how, many, how many truckloads of fentanyl are making their way across the southern border while we're considering what our next move needs to be in Ukraine? It's a serious and complex matter, but when I see bumper sticker slogans like, I stand with Ukraine, whatever it takes, it, it leads me to believe that we become such a serious nation that we don't have the ability, the ability to digest serious information in a very meaningful and impactful way. Hey, we're new to this podcast world. Make sure you like and subscribe to No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. I want to thank our sponsors, Marlboro PD Electric Cooperative, as well as Mickey Finns. They're the largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler serving every county of the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on 995 in Florence, big Gamecock fans, they um they service a lot of the um the athletic endeavors at the University of South Carolina, including Williams Bryce and Colonial Life. Once again, now we're kind of new to this podcast world. We need your subscriptions. We need your views. Need your help to get us um as successful as we possibly can be.